Tonight, we are going to witness the most anticipated match in the history of professional film. For the dozen in attendance, and for the handful listening around the world, it's time for Remake Rumble! Seasons, greetings, and welcome to Remake Rumble, a podcast that pits a classic film against its remake, the old guard against the new, in a dazzling display of motion picture pugilism. Two films enter, one film leaves. My name is Johnny Lee, and I'm joined by my co-hosts, Daniel, the Mac in the Hat Gilmore. Hello, Daniel. Hello, I'm the reason for the season. And David, the Vox in Socks Rattigan. Hello, David. Hello, hello, and might I say a happy holiday season to the Perrier. Well then, gents, I hope you don't mind. But for our intro today, I think I shall rhyme. Because we're talking The Grinch, that old festive favourite, released first in the 60s, and you bet Hollywood remade it. So be wary of spoilers, if spoilers aren't your thing. Now hark, let's embark to the remake rumble ring. Tony, you have to warn me before you do poetry. (laughs) (laughs) Hey, humongous yuletide yellow to you all, as remake rumble lets loose the Zeus in celebration of the season. First broadcast in 1966, How the Grinch Stole Christmas is a televisual treat for the ages, a beloved festive favourite in which a curmudgeonly green creature with a hatred for the holiday sets out to stop it once and for all. Based on the story by Rhyme Happy Children scribe Dr. Zeus and animated into existence by Looney Tunes legend Chuck Jones, this bonafide crimbo classic has captivated audiences since the Cold War and its popularity shows no signs of thawing yet. But can it hold its own against a tag team of titanic temerity? That's right, folks. For the first time in Remake Rumble history, not one, but two remakes enter the ring, turning today's merry match into a three-way Noel knockout. And here they are now, 2000's How the Grinch Stole Christmas and 2018's The Grinch, the former, a live-action reimagining helmed by Hollywood heavyweight Ron Howard and showcasing the physical comedy of its lead Jim Carrey, and the latter, a computer-animated flick from animation powerhouse Illumination and starring esteemed British actor Benedict Cumberbatch. So, who will win this Christmas quarrel, this titillating tinsel tussle? There's everything to fight for in tonight's Remake Rumble. So, Daniel, you've always been a miserable Scrooge who tries to ruin Christmas for everyone. So I'm interested to know how you found 1966, The Grinch Who Stole Christmas. 1966 was actually probably one of my favourite ones, mostly because it was about 25 minutes. So when we, I mean, the premise of this is we're meant to be reviewing films, I suppose. But this isn't really a film. Uh, it was more like a pretty pleasant TV show. Yeah, and talking of its length, I thought that the few songs in this film make sense given that it's only 25 minutes. And we'll get onto this, but one of the issues I have with this, the 2001 is you have, I think, the same number of songs, but for like a two-hour film. You do have the really bad, cloying, sickly sweet Where Are You Christmas number in the 2000s. Don't. How could I forget? I mean, the amazing thing with those original songs is they were, Dr. Zeus wrote them himself. I mean, he was heavily involved with that original short, you know, TV thing. So I like the authentic Zeusian wordplay that's sprinkled throughout. I never knew he wrote the songs. Is he quite a musical person by heart? Like, was he a musician originally? Do we know? I don't think he had a musical background. I think his background was in medicine oh was it medicine no it wasn't oh god just just, just the doctor we fell for it 
Well, the story yeah. goes, if I, if I'm, if I remember this correctly, that he was editing a magazine whilst at Dartmouth College. And I think mm. that for some reason he was fired from his role or, t- or told by some member of management that he couldn't be an editor any longer. Mm. But he wanted to keep contributing. So he contributed under a pseudonym. And Seuss, I think, was his mother's maiden name. Yeah, that's right. Where the name came from, but it was it was pronounced Zoys because it's like a German name. I like that. Doctor Zoys sounds much more exciting. And speaking of music, I like the Fahu Foraz nonsense Latin Christmas carol that you have. You Um, like that. I love that as well. Do you not like that? Ah, there's no accounting for taste, I suppose. That's great. I mean, genuinely, I think there's almost not a frame out of place. I really, really, really like it. Top to bottom, I think it's just great. I really liked seeing the Looney Tunes style of animation back on my screen again. You can see Chuck Jones just oozes through every single frame. Oh, it's really, really Chuck. cool to see. Good old um, Chuck. It really is fantastic. Like they, I know it's cliche, but they just don't make them like that anymore. And it's it's really refreshing to see that kind of anarchic ludicrous animation smearing happening all over the place just slapstick going on absolutely i mean isn't it crazy there was a point in history where every time you go to the cinema there would be a fresh looney tunes cartoon before the feature i mean that is a a utopian world in which i wish (laughs) i existed um the issue with this is the whole time i'm listening to boris karloff all i'm thinking of is frankenstein the mummy and all that kind of stuff and i'm Mm. just thinking i wish i was watching one of those old like horror films instead it's funny you say that because i think that dr seuss himself resisted the casting of boris karloff because he worried that exactly that would happen oh okay he was a really good narrator, I thought. It was just a shame that I couldn't disconnect it in my head from the things that he'd done previously. I'm not sure if that's like just something, like one of my own personal neuroses, but. Well, the entire time I was thinking of Disneyland. I mean, that's a pretty standard <laughs> thing for me, but the guy who sang Mean One, that wasn't, uh-huh. um, that wasn't Karloff. That was Thurl Ravenscroft, who was mm. famously oh, okay. the voice of Tony the Tiger. Everyone loves no Tony way. the Tiger, but, um, he also supplied his voice to a lot of Disney rides classic disney wow. rides um yeah so for me i was i was loving him but i think he yeah. isn't credited in the uh in the short at any time so i think a lot of people don't know that it's that it's him and he's not I, necessarily that well known so why wasn't he credited because that was probably the best bit of the whole film i know i honestly don't know i guess it was a mistake hmm. or maybe he he had done something to annoy chuck jones i'm not sure right right you say prefer donald over daffy or something <laughs> <laughs> David, did you know that this film came out three days after Walt Disney's death? Did it really? Mm. Huh. Oh my god. That bad. <laughs> we bring up Walt Disney's death quite a lot on this podcast. It was a tragic moment in history. <laughs> One of the worst days for humanity. <laughs> Some kind of Disney death cult. Well, Chuck Jones actually, I mean, he was, um, he was, so there was this strike in 1941 where all the animators were really annoyed, <laughs> really annoyed at Walt because they weren't being paid enough. They weren't really being credited for their work. And, you know, a lot of animation studios were unionizing at that point. And I think Chuck Jones kind of joined in with the strike. And part of that, he, I, th- I think a lot of people have credited him as doing this, but at the very least he was involved in some degree. But there were animators who like paraded like topless down the street with a guillotine, with this kind of Walt Disney dummy that was like decapitated <laughs> in front of the studio. <laughs> That's one way of doing a strike, I suppose. I can appreciate that. Oh, it was hardcore in those days. Wow. Speaking of despotic bosses, I do have to mention that this really cemented one distinct part of my brain rot. There's one scene in it where they talk about, like, you know, they sing without flounges and all that kind of stuff. There's an exact note for note parody of that in The Simpsons. And all I could think of was Mr. Burns doing it. 
So I remember, um, yeah, there's that yeah. shot of Mr. Burns where he's got his hand to his, his ear. Exactly, exactly, exactly. That it's was that, that came into my head, yeah. Very <laughs> iconic shot. I couldn't. Johnny, as a cardigan character, what did you think about this one? So I find I found that the Who's were much funnier in this than mm. the other two films. And I really like all the silly made-up names for instruments and games. And it kind of reminded me of sort of like Edward Lear nonsense verse type stuff. And it also made me wonder if there's like more unmined territory there in animation. Like I'm surprised we don't see more sort of Susian and nonsense verse influence in animation. Well, I think part of the reason this was even allowed to exist was because TV was a little bit of a wild west in those mm. days. I mean, mm. TV was seen as being like the lesser to film at that point. So I think there was a lot of room for experimentation. And I think Chuck Jones, obviously, he's always been an inventive character. So for him, this is just like free reign. Mm. And I think CBS, who, you know, there's a channel that aired this. I think they gave them like double the budget of the Charlie Brown special that had been on the previous year. So like it was essentially his half an hour slot. Go crazy. Do whatever you want. Did you know, so apparently the book is sometimes presented as being a critique of consumerism and at the time was criticized by some as being pro-communist. But I, I've always found the message slightly confusing. In, in fact, I found this not only in the book and, and also all three films, where on the one hand, the, the Grinch, right, is sort of justifies his anger at the, the Who's because he thinks that they're, you know, consuming all this, this junk. Mm. Um, but then in the end, it turns out that actually they're not that bothered anyway, because it's just something more, there's something deeper and profound about Christmas that mm. they enjoy. But I found in a sense that undercuts the, cons- the anti-consumers message because it seems like in the Who world, consumerism isn't actually a problem after all. Uh, I, I can see what you're saying completely. But I think that's kind of a very specific form of, this is maybe a bit reductive, but American Christianity, where they have this kind of idea where you're not meant to be consumerist, but that's because you'll get a reward if you're not consumerist, if that makes sense. Like it's initially very spiritual where they talk about, you know, it's all about love and family and how you have it all in the heart. But these films always descend into at the end, everyone gets all the special awards. You end up with a big fancy new car or whatever, depending on the film. Like if you watch yeah. the last action hero, well, not last action hero, the one with Arnold Schwarzenegger, you know, the Christmas one, uh, Jingle All the Way or whatever it's called. Oh, Jingle All the Way. Let's have a Jingle All the Way episode. Exactly. Forget the Grinch. Pal, friend. Brother, I have been saying that since day one. I would do that gladly. But, you know, at the end of it, they get all the special presents and the toys, even though they were the toys along the way. It's, it's always been like that. They get the Christmas cake and, and eat it too. It's, it's, yeah. Yeah, (laughs) I don't know. I mean, for me, the original short and then the 2000 film, the thesis kind of feels quite razor sharp to me. I mean, I don't know what you two think about the 2000 version, but I, I really, really like it. I think it's a really great remake and actually really deepens mm. a lot of the stuff that goes on uh, in the original. But we'll get on to that. But for me, it's the more recent 2018 one where the message is just completely confused. And as you say, mm. um, I mean, obviously you're not referring to the 2018 one specifically, but for me, it's just like a whole mess of things. Like it's about the mother is being overworked. So it's kind of about <sighs> mm-hmm. there's this weird culture of who's being overworked that's never explored. But I mean, that's apparently the the main point. And then also about the Grinch being alone at Christmas. Mm-hmm. Like it's not about Christmas as a holiday. It's about making sure you celebrate Christmas with other people, whether mm-hmm. you're consumerist or not. So for me, it's the 2018 one where the message is confused, whereas I don't, I didn't think that was true for the, the previous two. I mean, I love the stuff in the 2000 one where the Grinch essentially lives in a rubbish dump. That's all of the stuff that the Who's are 
consuming and then just throwing away mm. and the kind of lesson at the end of the film is it's not just the Grinch that needs to learn what Christmas is but it's also the Who's as well and it's only Cindy Lou the little girl she's the only one who seems to understand what Christmas is really meant to be about so for me I, I really like what they do in that regard yeah so in the 2000 Grinch it's like whose society are living in some kind of hyper-capitalist self-denial at the beginning where they cover up their sort of like obsessive consumerism with <laughs> this veneer of authentic festive joy. And they go super crazy for it. Everyone's like stampeding over each other, knocking everyone down. They have these crazy celebrations, what are they call the hubilation, all this stuff to kind of show that this is like this warped society that Cindy Lou is just wandering through like, this can't be how things are meant to be. And I, and I would say in, in that respect, um, the Grinch is a bit like Heath Ledger's Joker. Um, he's an agent <laughs> of definitely. chaos um, there to, you know, shake the complacency of his society. That's true. I never thought of it like that. And actually, just like... So this is, the just, Dark Knight is a remake of The Grinch. That's, that's what you're right. saying. That's what I'm saying. And just like Batman in The Dark Knight, Cindy Lou refuses to kill The Grinch, even though society would be better off without him. <laughs> in fact, if there'd been a Dark Knight sequel with Heath Ledger in it, I think there would have been a similar character arc there. And I think by the end, he would be slicing uh, Gotham City's Christmas hog. That's, yeah, that's pretty fair. That's pretty accurate. See, I think it's more like Jared Leto's Joker, but you can't see the face tattoos because of all the hair. They really ruin that. <laughs> Not very good costume design. Yeah, the 2000 film, I don't know if I'm quite as effusive as you guys about it. I, I totally appreciate the point of view. And I think, as David was alluding to before, one of the main issues with the 2018 film is that it has no idea what it's trying to say. I can't say that about 2000. It's very clear about what it's doing, very clear about what it's saying. It's a pretty classic you know, Christmas family film, but with certainly some strong anti-consumerist messages. But for all I remember Jim Carrey being really funny from when I watched it as a kid, I watched it back again and I'm kind of thinking, is he the master of slapstick that I knew? Do you know what? Is he? Yes, I, he is. I, no, I completely uh, agree with Daniel. And even though, oh, even, though no. I, even though I agree with David's point about the point mm. of The Grinch 2000 being sharper and the Grinch 2018 being much more uneven and, and lacking direction, I found The Grinch 2000 actually more of a disappointing experience. Mm. Oh. And I I didn't actually like Jim Carrey as The Grinch. I, I think that there's a lot of... Maybe this is something I would find if I went back and watched other 90s and early 2000s films with Jim Carrey in it, but I felt like there were so many things standing in for actual jokes, like Jim Carrey. Like, for for instance, he'll often mm. resort to these like very modern American expression, like, what's the deal? And he'll pull a funny mm. face mm-hmm. like, instead of telling a joke, and I just didn't find that very funny. Oh, there's another one where, where I think it's like Max gets stuck on a roof or something and he's like, what are you doing up there? Like, that's not a joke. <laughs> it's just a funny voice. That's not a bad carry, by the way. That's, that's all right. <laughs> carry um, cast. It starts now. Oh, absolutely not. I'm vetoing that. Oh, and then, <laughs> that's absolutely not happening. And while we're on the subject of jokes, there's a, when he comes to Whoville for the first time, because Cindy Lou says that he's going to be whatever it is, the, you know, the Christmas champion. And he's up on the stage and he says, I was told there'd be a check. And you know, actually, it sounds more like the, the villain in uh, Men in Black, the first film, you know, with the insect guys squeezed right, into right, right. human mm. skin. Um, <laughs> he says, uh, I was told there would be a check. And they're like, oh, Grinch, there's not a check. And then like uh. two minutes later, he just repeats the joke. He says, like, I was, are you sure there's not a check? I'm like, yeah, just that made me laugh. That made me laugh. I mean, God bless what, you. I know, maybe I'm, I'm a simpleton, unfortunately. 
<laughs> what I didn't like from that same scene where I would agree with you absolutely and I think this runs through the film and it's kind of you know you can tell it's a film from you know that was incubated in the late 90s early 2000s right. um where he lands you know he, he the Grinch is coming down from Mount Crumpet he's fired mm. down the garbage chute and he flies through the crowd and then he lands on Martha May who's chest mm. right and it's like right, this right, oh right. isn't that hilarious that uh-huh. he's on her chest yeah and you know it's just a bit raunchy bit cheap bit you know, a bit gross, really. Uh-huh. Um, and then there's a lot of pop cultural references, like the slow-mo chariots of fire stuff, which isn't not funny, in my opinion, but mm. I don't like the, the fact that it's almost... It doesn't want to be sincere to a point, I think, which I think is more mm. of a problem with the 2018 version. I mean, there's a lot in that where, you know, it's like holding the source material at arm's length, like when it does the You're a Mean One song mm. in 2018. <sighs> Um, where it's this like Tyler the Creator like remix version and it's obviously trying to you know get on the level of the kids you know what I mean it's not mm. it doesn't want to do a big gutsy funny ridiculous rendition of a, a you know a nonsense song it's mm. trying to be like oh kids don't like that kind of thing now we need to make sure that it's got a contemporary artist and you know it's so i think there are elements of that in 2000 but it's more the 2018 version for me where that stuff really tips over the scale i think there's enough of it in 2000 version where it's for me i thought it was quite funny but i I mean i appreciate that it's not everyone's cup of tea i think i felt as well that the way that jim carrey plays the grinch doesn't really fit with the you know tim burton-esque sort of modern america meets fairy tale He's basically playing Ace Ventura in a green cabbage costume. Yep, 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 <laughs> yep, yep. And what's wrong with that? <laughs> I signed up for that. I mean, The Grinch 2000, which I'm going to keep calling it because it sounds very futuristic <laughs> and like a PS1 game, but <laughs> The Grinch 2000 is a film of its time. I think that's the main problem. Mm. It's not necessarily above itself. That was just like the style of comedy at the time. You know, you had these things like, what's the deal? Like, who's this guy all about? Like, like you were saying before, but that's more forgivable and more understanding for why it's not aged as well as 2018, mm. which, as you said, it's just, it's so unwilling to be sincere. Mm. It's so unwilling to commit to its source. It has no affiliation with Dr. Suits whatsoever. It is basically just like the secret life of pets, but with a big green hairy man. Whereas like, if, if you look, if you look at the Grinch 2000, I mean, it's so 2000. You have, you know, those people who go up to the mountain, like one of them basically looks like TLC. The other one's got gel tips and long shorts. <laughs> like it's so 2000. But again, I like that. To me, that seems yeah, kind of tongue in cheek. Yeah, like, completely. It, it almost seemed like a kind of rebel without a cause-esque kind of, you know, yeah. rebellious teenagers. Like I felt like they were kind of aware that it was slightly ridiculous. And, you know, the costume design throughout the film, I really liked. Oh. Like I think there's a lot that, you know, I think the level of detail costume like everyone when they're wearing pajamas at the end everyone has their own character specific set of pajamas or when cindy lou has a weird costume where she has like a cup of liquid on her head and there's real liquid in there like sloshing around yep and the biscuits and the plate and did you notice the mother had had the same hat with a bigger cup i did notice Mm. that genius did you notice at the end her handing a plate of green eggs and ham to max no, I didn't no. notice that. Really? That's a nice little touch. That's cool. Yeah. Wow. I mean, you know, I guess you two might say you can't redeem it with some references, which I get, but you know, that's quite nice. It's that's a nice difficult. little, nice little thing. It's so difficult to like a film that has Smash Mouth in it. It really is. Does it? When? So, so there's like that having the party at Christmas before the baby lands. And I, I don't know if it is Smash Mouth, but if it isn't Smash Mouth, it's basically Smash Mouth. But again, that's another scene I love, which obviously it moves away from the original book and now we have 
a tragic backstory for the Grinch, which, you know, I was nervous when it came back up. I'd forgotten about the flashbacks, but actually mm. I really, really enjoyed it. I, I loved how you had all these babies arriving in baskets and mm. then the Grinches shows up and it's this tattered black umbrella and it knocks the other ba- the baby away. <laughs> right, it like right. flies off into the distance, like screaming. And then it's this weird, creepy puppet animatronic thing that they have in a little chair and it's gooing and garring. And I, I thought it was great. <laughs> There's a sense of magic. I'll give you that. There's a completely a sense of magic. Like the set design is really evocative. I think the cast was really good. I don't think, was it Bill Irwin who did the dad? Like, I think he was actually a surprisingly good supporting actor considering like the little slapstick he had. Like he gave it us all. Like there's a lot of really good performances in there. I just wasn't totally engaged with it the whole way through. Like at some point I had to use the toilet and then I got up and I found it was about 45 minutes through and I just thought, man, th- this has like an hour left to go. <laughs> there was a lot of filler and part of the problem was that to, again, to come back to Jim Carrey, I don't want to keep ragging on him about it, but he-, he can't leave a joke alone when there's like a big slapstick punchline, like it's smacked in the head by a, I don't know, hammer or something. He can't leave it there. He has to have a little rejoined as to like sticking a little one-liner and you don't need it and it made it feel flabbier and it made the whole thing feel like it took twice as long i I think that was the main problem for me and it's why i didn't love it i still liked it it was fine like i didn't mind it but yeah going from the memories you have as a kid to watch it again as an adult it didn't quite hold up to what i wanted it to be coming back to the the origin thing which i think is right like you need to have some kind of backstory or you don't need to but i can understand why you would have a backstory for the grinch in a feature-length film Although I will say that I do like in the book and the 1966 film where, you know, it's not explained why the Grinch is the way he is. Mm. And the narrator runs through a number of different possibilities that, you know, according to legend, (laughs) why is he the way he is? And I love the idea that it could be because he has ill-fitting shoes that he's such a grumpy bastard. Mm -hmm. Um, Mm -hmm. (laughs) Just like the Joker. Just like the Joker. That's right. right. Um, So coming back to the 2000 film, there are little details even in the backstory, like the fact that he he eats glass, which don't work for me. Like, why glass? Why is that a thing? And I feel like <laughs> I feel like this yeah, film. I'm thinking about it. <laughs> he eats the Santa plate. This film for me is composed of lots of ideas, separate ideas, which at the time the filmmakers thought were really funny, and they shoved them mm. all together. So you have things like the eating the glass. You have things like the slow mo chariots of fire parody, and none of it comes together into a coherent hole but it had ideas sure which is more than i can say for other films <laughs> see to me it sounds like you're describing the recent remake well i'm also describing the recent remake <laughs> oh okay okay <laughs> uh, i mean i'm going to say it now controversially i actually enjoyed myself more with the grinch 2018 and i don't think it's a good I film i don't know what you're talking about <laughs> let me make, let me make it's very clear i don't think it's a good film I think it's also very uneven. It also lacks direction. And most irritatingly, it recycles so many elements from previous Illumination Studios films, which I think Daniel touched Mm. on already. So for example, you've got stuff like the slowing things down as characters are moving really fast and some out of control vehicle and your tongue flies out. Um, Mm -hmm. You've got things like the the strange, you know, normally cross-eyed animal who makes a funny noise following you around. All that's like really familiar. But having said all that, I think it's, it's a really mediocre film, but it, it still kind of carried me along. And I never, I'm not going to remember this film, but it was fine. Whereas I found in the 2000 film, whilst it's much more ambitious and it does have ideas, it, it did, I think, actively irritate me. And I was glad when it was over. Huh. I didn't expect that. 
That's quite dramatic. <laughs> um, I'm not sure how to react to someone saying they preferred that. Uh, again, I don't think either of them were fantastic films, but man, 2018 was a real struggle. I completely checked out about half the way through and I just stopped taking notes. It might also be because I had, I didn't go in with high expectations. I'm, I'm not the mm. biggest fan of these Illumination Studio films. Like, I feel like I right. really know what to expect when I go in to see one. Mm. And it kind of checked all those boxes. So I was like, yep, yeah, okay, you know, it, it was what it was. But yeah, it just didn't irritate me in the same way that Jim Carrey's pulling wacky faces instead of actually inserting a joke. Um, I'd, I'd rather be irritated than bored. Say what you want about the 2001s. I know it's got all this gross out stuff. Like the way they took the Grinch was maybe a bit, like not the way I would take it, but at least they had like a perspective. At least they tried. At least they had one story they were trying to tell well. With 2018, they had like three different things that mm. they had no idea what they were doing. You know, like this put upon mother and the kid trying to do the Santa heist and then the Grinch doing God knows what, like... Is he grumpy? Is he like a villain? Like, what's going on? Yeah, they didn't seem to understand the character at all. I mean, for me, at 2000 and Grinch was like, he's gross, which I, I personally like that. Like, yeah. they just really went all in with him being this totally grotesque creature right. that is just, you know, everyone is terrified of him. Whereas here, for some reason, they just completely sanded him down. And it was to the point where he just apparently just walks around Whoville to do yeah, his shopping totally and no one cares yeah and I, I just don't get what the point of that was wait okay so if i was going to defend it i would say that they're trying to take it in a slightly different direction and i think it's very intentional that they're making the grinch more a part of who society right so him you know he still goes into who town for shopping in this mm. film he's more the archetype of the misanthropic old man who lives on the edge of town right he's basically clint eastwood in gran torino <laughs> <laughs> yeah, okay. Now I'm back in. Keep going. <laughs> and you have things like he's nice to, you know, Max the dog is his only friend who he's mm. actually genuinely very nice to. So Max mm. is no longer the abused slave pet. He is the, like the one loyal friend. And I think consistent with that, they try to give him a more grounded backstory, which makes sense with what they're trying to do in the film. So instead of just being this kind of, um, impish figure with no particular, particularly defined backstory of the original book and the original short film or this, mm. um, I mean, you never really find out who he is in the, in the 2000 film, but, you know, he's brought in by Stork, like all the other Who babies, um, but something seems to have gone wrong with this one, and he's just kind of like naturally a, a strange, vicious, vile little creature. Um, with this one. And right, again, that's funny. That's funny, yeah, actually. In this one, he's, he's more of an outcast. He's the orphan, weird looking orphan who observes the happy families of Whoville celebrate Christmas and he's traumatized by his loneliness. And to his credit, I think one thing that does do is that it makes sense of why Christmas specifically is something that the Grinch doesn't like because it's the holiday that symbolizes family and home and so mm. comes to represent his trauma. Whereas you might say in the 2000 film, there's no particular reason why he should hate Christmas, right? He starts off hating Christmas before he's bullied in school. So I think like to give it its due credit, I think that kind of makes sense for, for what they're going to do. And I'm not trying to say any of that works, but I think they, we should also appreciate that they know that they're doing that. Like they do know that they're trying to make him a more grounded figure but why make the grinch grounded right i mean this is a story by dr zeus who's known for these completely crazy stories you know to then say oh we'll just have him as a hairy green man who goes and does shopping and you know to me it seemed like their directors had watched wallace and gromit and said oh yeah let's do like a green hairy version of wallace mm. because you know he's an inventor with a pet dog 
Mm. And there's no reason why he's an inventor. Again, you know, it doesn't add anything to the character. It doesn't make sense that he's an inventor. Um, I mean, they never outright say he's an inventor, but you know, you look around his house and it's all these crazy inventions everywhere and which maybe they got from the 2000 version because I know there's a lot of crazy contraptions in the Grinch's house. But I mean, I got the sense and I think the production designers talk about this actually in the 2000 version, but that's kind of just his he, you know he's he lives in a rubbish tip so all that stuff is just like you know you can ostensibly say that that's junk that's been thrown away that he's scattered around mm. here it's like his house is actually nice and clean but then right. also partly gothic like he has like an organ but then also just has like a 1950s suburban american kitchen it feels like direction by committee that's what this feels like, like i'm not saying you're wrong johnny but i think you're giving it way too much credit i don't think this was designed with anything in mind other than selling tickets and, and making toys i can't see any reason other than that to essentially just homogenize everything there's there's no susian element to this yeah, whatsoever I agree. I also, I agree. absolutely nothing maybe i can put it this way so there's no need for this to be a grinch film i completely agree i'll come back yeah. to that in a second but on the other hand mm. if i was going to write a Christmas story from scratch, then I could do worse than you know, having as a protagonist, you know, an orphan who's traumatized by, you know, observing the idyllic family Christmases of Whoville. Like, I think that kind of makes sense as a premise, but the problem is there's no I need for it. I don't disagree, to- but again, you don't really get much of that backstory. Agreed. You do yeah, see it, completely. but it's a scene that's only kind of hinted at, and it almost suggests that maybe there's going to be a a kind of more full fat flashback in like 30 minutes. It just never comes. Agreed. If you take out the orphanage scene, what in the film suggests to you that the Grinch is in any way ostracized from society? In fact, it seems almost entirely self-inflicted if you kill that scene. <laughs> yeah. Obviously, I know that that scene is in there, so you can't really discount it, but at the same time, it's like, what, a minute, maybe two? Mm-hmm. Like, they don't build on that character. It's not actually established in any other way other than just... I mean, like, he goes out shopping. Like everyone seems to love him. He's, everyone's mad for the Grinch. I would agree with you. The the whole thing's very undercooked, and mm. things like the mother struggling mm-hmm, to raise mm-hmm. children, Cindy Lou, all she wants for Christmas is for Santa to help out her mother. Even mm. that felt really underdeveloped. So developed. I mean, for for one thing, whilst it's whilst it's true that she's a, she seems to be a single mother raising three children. At the same time, it's hard to get a grip on exactly what the problem is. Like she seems to be coping. We never see a scene of her not coping. And the other, the other, I think, tension there is that Whoville is a much more straightforward, idyllic town, albeit seen mm. through the eyes of like a contemporary white Anglo-Saxon Protestant. But like mm. otherwise, it's this kind of <laughs> utopia, and it's hard to see how that kind of society would if it is so idyllic as we're led to believe, would let things get too bad for her. If you're going to do that, jump both feet in. If you're going to tell me a slice of life story about a mother who's struggling and a kid who just wants her mum to be happy for Christmas, do that. If you want to do a story about this outcast who wants to try and find himself in the middle of Christmas and then commit a crime and then you know gets let off for it when he mm-hmm. finds the true nature of humanity, do that. That's what the Grinch is all about. If you're going to try and combine them, give both of the stories enough room to breathe and write them enough that I get anything out of them. But instead what they did was they split the middle, watered everything down, included a big fat reindeer for what can only be described as no reason because he has it written out halfway through. And then... <laughs> And then they just go, oh, here you go. Here's a Christmas film. Like, I totally get what you're saying, Johnny. Like, it's not terrible. It's not the worst film I've ever seen, but it's almost worse than bad. It's boring. It's completely inconsequential. Mm. It has nothing to say. It does nothing. It has no personal point of view. It has no artistic vision. Everything stylistically it's done has been done in mm-hmm. The Secret Life of Pets. It's mm-hmm. worse than bad. It's pointless. Mm. And that's what's offending me so much. I agree with a lot of that. And I think another issue I have, another tension in the film is between the more realistic grounded setting but then mm. lots of other incongruous elements so i mean for one thing like why is the grinch this kind of green goblin creature in this otherwise right. fairly normal world 
Like, why do you have 500 foot tall Christmas trees? <laughs> why do you have those, those, those creepy carol singers falling in through the street everywhere he goes, clicking their right, fingers yeah, and that? the sort of like West Side Story dance moves? But Johnny, the goat screamed like he was from the internet. Did you not see that? And then he wore those like <laughs> pants that said like, you know, sexy ass or whatever it, it said. Mm-hmm. It's like, oh, oh can't oh, unsee. Oh. Also, is this, is this supposed to be on earth? Because there are lots of, explicitly Christian carols alongside mm. Michael Jackson and other pop songs playing from the radio, right? So yeah. in whatever plane of existence Whoville exists, presumably both Jesus and Michael Jackson have revealed themselves to the Who's. <laughs> um, well, I mean, we didn't discuss that in The Grinch 2000, but I think that was a stroke of genius where they had it set in a snowflake, which is kind of a reference to... Another Zeus story, Horton Hears a Who, where there's a whole world inside a speck of dust. Mm. And I think that's Whoville as well in that. Whereas here, they kind of took that idea and was like, okay, we'll do it. You know, it's Christmas, so we'll have it as a snowflake. I mean, the only problem with that is, and I thought this when I was a kid and I still think it now, seems very whimsical and nice. But does that not suggest straight after the Grinch carves the roast beast, the world implodes because the snowflake melts or something? I mean, it's a slightly scary vision. I'm not sure I'm ready for the philosophical ramifications of Dr. Seuss. Well, this is what I mean. Actually, speaking of which, though, am I right in saying that one of the co-directors of this also directed the Lorax? That probably is right. I mean, Illumination made the Lorax, yeah. Yeah. Mm -hmm. And then I think it was Blue Sky Studios did the previous animated Zeus film. Right. I mean, it's probably a good point to say, actually. There's a really interesting history with these adaptations where Dr. Seuss himself, Ted Geisel, he was very, very, very against his films, sorry, his books being made into films because he'd had a bad experience with Hollywood in the past. Um, So he was always like, you know what, I'm not going to do this. And the only reason he did the 60s Grinch cartoon was because it was TV and it felt Mm. like, as I was saying before, it's a slightly different world where the rules aren't quite the same. But when he died, his wife, Audrey Geisel, basically started selling the rights to these things just to everybody. So suddenly you had movies being made. There's even a theme park land in Universal Studios in Florida, which is crazy, (laughs) called Zeus Landing. There's a cat in the hat ride that you can go on. Okay. So she, you know, was selling it everywhere. And a lot of people obviously, maybe quite rightly, have accused her of maybe exploiting Mm, things. But she disliked the cat in the hat with Mike Myers so much that she basically said, I don't want to do any more films that are live action in the Zeus world. So that's why we've now had this kind of string of plasticky CG Zeus films, basically. I mean, she might be crazy, but she's not wrong. Um, I'm basically spent at this point. I've got nothing else to say about the Grinch. I've, I'm so overloaded with Christmas. Okay, well, perhaps it's time for a festive quiz. Oh, hold me Ooh. back. Okay, Ooh. stop me if you tried. Okay, now, now there will be a special remake rumble Christmas gift for the winner, so I want you to try your best this time, Daniel. I, I try every time, but you rig it. That's the problem. Okay, so it transpires that David actually knows the answer to the first question. Yeah, of um, course he does. But, oh, what but, a surprise. But, you know, Daniel, Daniel probably wasn't paying any attention to the conversation, so I'm going to... Oh, what was the, who's the name of the man who runs the Disney Corporation? Oh, <laughs> All right, who knows? Here we go. Let, let, let's see how much... You've been paying attention, Daniel. Right. Okay, question one. Thurl Ravenscroft, who sang the song You're a Mean One, Mr. Grinch, in the 1966 film, was best known as the voice of who? Was it A, Tony the Tiger? (laughs) Surely not. (laughs) B, Captain Crunch? C, Mighty Mouse? Or D, Rasta Mouse? (laughs) 
Okay, so do I get to go first? Because Dave's basically cheated and, and I think and, uh, so. Go on. Great, that's fine. Go on. God, I wish it was Rastamouse. Could you imagine? Obviously, it's Tony the Tiger, but how old was he when he did Tony the Tiger then? Because he's been going for a while. I'm not sure when Tony the Tiger came came onto the scene, onto he's, the breakfast he was, he was scene. Birthed out of his egg sack from the Kellogg's birthing pools. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, well, well, there's some homework for you. All right, question two. In 2000's The Grinch, Jim Carrey's costume is covered in what animal hair? A. Yak B. Camel C. Highland Coo or D. Human Child So technically D, but that's only because it was actually Jim Carrey's real hair. Ah, so you went real method with this one. This was another Man on the Moon rendition from Carrey. That's right. I like the way you said Highland Coo, but that's mostly the only reason why I want to say C. You're welcome. Normally I charge. Thanks. Brilliant. Cheers. Okay, so you're going for C, Highland Coo, and uh-huh. David, what are you going for? It's Yak. It's Yak. I've done my homework. Oh, for God. It's Yak. In fact, uh, if I leaf through my notes, I might even be able to give you oh, some... Oh, leaf, you leaf some away. Statistics. Might be able to tell us which Yak. Statistics for this. Oh, crikey. Okay, well, whilst you're doing that, uh-huh. question three... <laughs> Who was considered for the role of the Grinch in the 2000 film? Was it A. Robin Williams, B. Jack Nicholson, C. Daniel Day Lewis, or D. Robert Downey Jr.? God, Jack Nicholson. God, I'm dreaming of it. Um, Daniel Day Lewis. Okay, you're going. Was Dan- he in the running for Daniel Day Lewis? Okay, and David. I think Robin Williams makes the most sense. But I love the idea of a Jack Nicholson Grinch, so I'm going to have to go for Jack Nicholson on this one. Well, the correct answer is Jack Nicholson. Why is is today the day my dreams come true? (laughs) Why is that happening now? Imagine that. I mean, that's really fascinating. That is the only believable way that I could be terrified of the Grinch, though. Jack Nicholson is like, hey, I'm here. I hate Christmas. (laughs) Well, before we move on, actually, do you want me to tell you about the Carey's Yaks? Please do. Yeah. Well, they were individual yak hairs that were sewn onto a lycra spandex suit. They were sewn on and tied twice, and making the suit from scratch took four months. Um, apparently, Carey likened it to being buried alive on a daily basis. Wow. Mm-hmm. Okay. A lycra suit covered in yak hair. And I have another fact, actually, but I'm worried that it may trip on is this going to awaken another sexual fetish in me or is this going to be fine (laughs) well there's only one way to find out okay apparently carrie had to train i believe with someone who was involved with the cia (laughs) in dealing with the suit because it was such a traumatic experience and that's that's no joke that's real (laughs) just like jack ryan just like jack ryan unbelievable well, I go, what could they teach you? When, at what point in the field have the CIA ever been covered in yak hair? Except, like, maybe, I don't know, some deep state collusion in Peru or whatever. What is going on? It's classified information, Dan. I'm sorry. Oh, it is classified. I'm sorry for asking. Sorry, Agent. I was actually going to include a question about that, funnily enough, but I didn't want to accidentally activate Daniel. I, I know he's a sleeper agent. <laughs> <laughs> okay, next question. 2000's The Grinch currently sits at number two spot of highest grossing Christmas films of all time. What is number one? Is it A, It's a Wonderful Life? Uh-huh. B, Santa Claus 3, The Escape Clause? C, <laughs> C Home Alone? Or uh-huh. D, Home Alone 2, Lost in New York? Oh, you... See, you knew that would happen, though. You knew you'd say Home Alone and everyone would go for Home Alone. See, I don't do the second one. Uh, I was uh-huh. thinking just that. 
See, this is the part where I'm not playing the game, I'm playing Johnny, where I'm trying to figure out if he'd be awful enough to include the second one just to be a despicable <laughs> creature, or if he's actually doing it because it's the real one. This is the part where I'm searching Google for the answer. Don't you dare! You can't possibly... <laughs> teacher, you, you, you just Don't hear what worry, you're saying. I won't, I won't. Unbelievable. I won't search Google. I'll use this Yahoo, is, don't worry. So... <laughs> no, you won't. No one's ever said that. You've used like, use like a real working class man. Jose, so what's it going to be? Oh, you know, I, I'm, I have the same dilemma that you're having, Dan. I, I think, I don't know if Home Alone 2 is generally perceived as being like the preferred one. So I'm not totally sure, but I mean, they're pretty big. They're big hitters. I'm going to say Home Alone 1. I think Home Alone 1 probably had, yeah, Home Alone 1. Let's say Home Alone 1. I'm the original, say, the classic. I'm going to say Home Alone 2, but only because I believe that Donald Trump has used his starring role in it and has used White House funds in order to buy out hundreds of millions of copies, which he's now used to, I don't know, line the Oval Office. <laughs> well, the correct answer is, of course, as any idiot would know, Home Alone. God, yes. Stupid Google idiot. Right. I do. Stupid bloody idiot. I do vaguely remember reading somewhere that The Grinch 2000 had actually overtaken Home Alone. But this is right. according to Forbes magazine, and they've never been wrong. Oh, that rag, whatever. They don't know anything. They've never been wrong, except that time that they said that Lehman Brothers would stand the test of time. <laughs> That's right. Okay, <laughs> final question. <laughs> according to an interview about his role in the film, what feature uh-huh. of Christmas makes Benedict Cumberbatch feel most grinchy? Is it A? <laughs> oh, oh, my God. Okay. Is, right. like, is it Lycra's suit covered in yakka? <laughs> <laughs> is it excess shopping uh-huh. excess drinking mm. excess packaging or excess uh-huh. wind <laughs> excess packaging I think it's got to be excess drinking because if it was excess packaging or the other one that seems very counter the Grinch story but then again the Grinch 2018 was very confused in its messaging so it could go anyway the thing is, for Benedict Cumberbatch, excess drinking is probably like, I don't know, three snifters of port or whatever. <laughs> um, if that's probably the right answer, but unfortunately Dave has already said it, so I'm not allowed to say the same answer. I'm going to go for the excess shopping, because that is also okay. consumerist or whatever. It's the drinking one, just say it, just do it. Well, the, the correct answer is, in fact, excess packaging. What? What? Huh? What? Hey... You just, must say that as a joke. Just report this, this is the part that's a Cumberbatch you, cackle. It's a classic Cumberbatch classic. It's true. What does he mean? I don't understand what he what means. What do you mean it's true, Johnny? What I mean is it is true. That is what makes him feel most grinchy. But but there's, there's no like the interviewer didn't then go. What are you talking about? <laughs> if you suffered from a head wound, to think this man went to private school. So wait, the, did the interviewer ask him what makes you feel most grinchy? I mean, what what kind of questions that? I mean, that's oh, a, I don't know. Piece. I just copy and pasted this from IMDb. Like the ask, <laughs> like Robert De Niro. What makes you feel the most Irish? You know, like it's just, it's the classic question you always ask. But the fact that he didn't like expand on that, no one went. Benedict, what are you on about? Your words mean something. You can't just say something like that and then leave it. Right. Well, to sum up, I think that's four two to David. No surprises there. <sighs> oh, did I get two? I didn't think I got I any. Got two. I, I legitimately thought I got zero points there. Did the yak hair information? Did that add to the the score? Not this time, no. Oh, okay. All right, fair enough. I mean, you know what? It's Christmas. Let it add to the score and then give an extra point to Dan. I think that's that's the least I could do. I don't need your pity points. How dare you? It's not pity. It's Christmas. It is Christmas. All right, I'll take the points. It's a mince pie point. Oh, I do like mince pies. That's right. All right, I think it's time that we went to the scorecards. So 
Who was the winner of this seasonal skirmish? David, let's start with you. I I think it's a tough question. I mean, it's almost as tough as the what do you do to feel most grinchy question. <laughs> I think it's, it, well, it's definitely between 66 and 2000. So it's between the how the Grinch stole Christmas is as opposed to the Grinch, right? So I'm kicking the Grinch out. I don't know what the Grinch 2018 was up to. Terrible from start to finish. Very boring, very mm. dull. Didn't mm. know what it was saying. The animation was stiff. The animation was robotic. It was terrible. Terrible, terrible, terrible. 1966 is a classic. I think Chuck Jones is a genius. I think Dr. Zeus is a genius. I think combining them together is incredible. So I'm hard pressed to say that it shouldn't win. But equally, How the Grinch Stole Christmas 2000 is this incredible live action realization of Chuck Jones's work. Jim Carrey's the perfect cartoon man in human form. I love all the crazy production design. I love the way it's been realized. I mean, I don't know. I think maybe I should go out there and say it's 2000. I think 2000 is the best, but it's, you know, it's almost as good as the original. I think the original is great as well. And you, Daniel? I think it has to be the 1966 one. Not just because it's shorter, but because it has zero fat. It is all pure Christmas. It's very well produced very well animated. I think it's pretty timeless. It's not the best Christmas film in the world, but at the same time, it never outstays its welcome. It says what it needs to say, and it gets out. I've got a lot of respect for that, and it's also clearly done with a lot of love. Uh, 2000, I agree with about the set design, the costume design. I think it's got a real sense of place. It does have a sense of direction, which I really appreciate. The classic rubber man that everyone loves, Jim Carrey, I don't think rises above the role, so I'm not going to say 2000. And 2018, I'm just going to, I'm going to give it the respect it gave me and just not mention it. <laughs> uh, so Johnny, just say 2018 so we can have a nice one on one draw. Uh, and we'll, move well, we'll get there. So for me, <laughs> the original 1966 film is a lovely lean wee film. I think it captures the spirit of the book whilst adding its own little animated sparkle to the story. Mm. The, uh, the other two films, I think, are not nearly as funny or sharp as they need to be. Um, and neither of them have a strong enough direction. Very uneven, uh, very hodgepodge. But mm. I personally had a marginally better time with the 2018 film, mostly because it didn't annoy me as much. So definitely the 1966 film is the best, um, followed by 2018 and then 2000. Wow. Outra- outrageous. Absolutely not outrageous. outrageous. Did you turn the TV on when you had it on? Because we had we had moving images and sound that was happening. Was I watching Jingle All The Way? Oh, I wish. I wish. You know, I hear a lot of people say about Jingle All The Way, oh, it's a bad film, mm-hmm. but it's a great Christmas film. No, I think it's a great film <laughs> and a superlative Christmas film. Absolutely. Well, I think we shall wrap up there. Thank you for your joyful company, gentlemen. And thank you for your attention, dear listeners. Why not treat yourself this festive season and follow us on Apple Podcasts or your other preferred podcast player. Follow us on Facebook and Twitter to receive such gifts as the latest Remake Rumble rumours, slanders and updates on Daniel's War on Christmas. And with that, happy Christmas to all and to all a good fight. Happy holidays, compadres. Bye.
true message of Christmas is that only those who work hard deserve presents. And that's so, right. The end of the, end of the Grinch just turns to the camera and goes, only the strong survive. The weak will perish <laughs> and diminish the excess population. 